welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Lessons from Elijah, and it is brought to you by guest speaker, John Wearsmill. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor John Wearsman. It's an uh, honor to, to speak with you this way this morning. Uh, 26 years ago, Pastor Phil wanted to, uh, to meet with me after I volunteered to, to help with the nursery. And uh, went to lunch, and he, he asked me, we were just here for a year, and we are going to go to the mission field, he said, would you be interested, open to being my associate for the year that you're here? And he, and he said, I've never had an employee before. And he said, jokingly, if I screw up with you, <laughs> it won't have lasting consequences because you're out of here. And uh, I said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm interested, uh, to, I want to help you. But the prepositional phrase following the word associate is really important to me. Associate to the pastor, I'm open to. Associate pastor, it's a no-go. Like I told God I'd be a missionary. I, told, I did not tell him I'd be a pastor. <laughs> Didn't want to be a pastor. And I thought that was our understanding at lunch. And then Sunday came. And he said, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my new associate, John Wiersma. You can call him Pastor John. <laughs> no. <laughs> Grammar, pastor. Uh, but he honored me over my value for grammar. And that's why it's easy to honor Pastor Phil and Pastor Sherry. They honor people. Uh, they've made a tremendous difference in my life. I know they've made a difference in your life. They're difference makers. And you guys know the difference they've made in this community, the faithfulness that they've had for decades. One of the things you may not know is not just in the missions uh, arena where they've, they've uh, impacted things, but the pastors we heard last week from a local pastor who they've impacted and encouraged. Years later, when God did call me to pastor a little church in Denver, Colorado, Pastor Phil was one of the first people I called and asked for advice. And uh, that little church, we were bigger on Monday than we were on Sunday, in part because of the advice of Pastor Phil and the faithfulness of you guys here and what you guys have done, that we are a church that is bigger on Monday than we are on Sunday and that vision. So the ripple effect, you just never know. The ripple effect of obedience and honor and, um, and how, how much uh, life can, can be impacted by just being faithful. When I came back here, took a job at a little running store in Westboro. I think some of my colleagues might be here this morning. Uh, PR Running. So for any of your running needs, you can go to, uh, to PR Running, great store. But uh, as I worked there, I wore this cross, and customers would ask me, oh, do you go to church? And I said, yes, and what church do you go to? Those who were churchgoers as well as those who weren't churchgoers. And I said, oh, Bethany Community Church in Menden, Massachusetts. They all knew about Bethany, about the, the, the happy place, the blessing barn, the school. You guys have changed the conversation about church on the street, and I just was blown away. Wow, you guys are difference makers. We heard a message last week, great message, on maintaining that focus on the, on the mission, staying on mission. But uh, this morning I want to bring a message that's a little different. What happens when we grow weary and we get discouraged, depressed in our difference making? We can be faithful. Uh, even the best get weary. We've got God and the Word of God, but the culture, the battle never stops, and the culture is just pounding. We've been pounded this year, pounded and pounded, and it's easy to get discouraged and to get uh, depressed. And it may not be the culture, it may just be one person in our life that's just, that person just sticks out and just, just discourages us. This morning, I want to look at a, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, who was a difference maker, one of the biggest difference makers in scriptures, Elijah. And the Bible says he was a man just like us. So I've entitled my message, Spiritual Recovery for Difference Makers. 
And uh, before we look at the Word of God, I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to highlight what He wants us to hear, what He wants us to see. God, uh, God calls us, the, the church, He calls us His bride. And He's given us a diamond. And it shines. But we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see what He wants us to see. And the setting of a diamond, as women know, helps to accentuate the, the beauty of that gem. And the cultural setting, the context of this, is going to help, I think, to highlight what God wants us to see um, from the Word this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can come to you anytime, anywhere in prayer because of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Phil, Sherry, and the leadership team and the family. Father, they have made a tremendous difference. I pray your continued blessing on them. Rest for Pastor Phil. Father, this morning, I pray as we read your word, Holy Spirit, may you shine your light. This isn't uh, my words. These are your words. And so we ask for you to do a work that I can't do, we can't do, none of us can do. Only you can do. Lord, guide the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, to be pleasing in your sight. And ultimately, Lord, may you strengthen and encourage us as a body that we can continue by your grace and for your glory to make a difference where you've called us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the context, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, 1 Kings 19. And the context, Elijah uh, is in Israel, and Israel has had a, a civil war uh, after King Solomon split the kingdom into the north and the south. Yes, civil war, north and south. Um, and the northern kingdom had ni 19 kings, all of them evil. <laughs> the southern kingdom, 17 kings, only eight were good. Eli Elijah was called as a prophet to the northern kingdom. So for, for generations, this has just been a culture that has just been pounding against God, pounding against God. And he is called to a particular king who is one of the most wicked of all the kings of Israel, Ahab. And Ahab was made even more wicked because of his wife, Jezebel. You may have heard of Jezebel. Uh, she, uh, he married her. She was a, a foreign uh, queen, that he, an alliance that was made to, that God was against those, marrying foreign, foreign women uh, for alliances, but Ahab did it in any way. And Jezebel brought her foreign gods with her. Baal, the god of rain and fertility, and Asherah, the mother of Baal. And she led Israel into Baal worship. And it was a challenge in the context that they were living in to be faithful to Jehovah. Um, it was a culture of compromise, corruption, and, uh, and a challenge to be faithful to the Lord. God sent Elijah to tell Ahab earlier, three years earlier than the text we're going to read this morning, to tell King Ahab that there would be no rain in Israel until he said so. Basically, God was having a power encounter with Baal. God, Baal was the, the god of rain, and he was going to say, I control the rain. So uh, now you know why God, God closed the heavens and uh, after his, his pronouncement, Elijah went into hiding because they were trying to kill him. Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. So he went into hiding, and he went to Cherith, where he was fed by angry birds, dirty birds, ravens. <laughs> For the Jews, that was a dirty bird. But uh, he drank out of a brook, and ravens came and fed him. And then God told him to go to Zarephath. It's in a foreign country, and of all places, it was Jezebel's country. It was Sidon. Jezebel and Ahab were looking to kill uh, Elijah, and they were looking everywhere for him. The one place that they didn't look was Jezebel's backyard. <laughs> and God told, Ahab, uh, told Elijah, go to, to Zarephath. There's a widow there. I'm going to take care of you. God's bizarre in what he, what he does. He's seemingly inefficient. But he's extravagant in his love for us and for, for Elijah. So finally, God tells Elijah, go back to Ahab. Tell him, I'm going to set up a power encounter with prophets of Baal. There's Mount Carmel. Some of you, if you've read your Bible, you know the story, powerful story of Mount Carmel. They set up two altars, and uh, one for Baal, one for Jehovah. And the prophets of Baal 
the, the, whoever was the real God was going to answer with fire from heaven. And so Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first, 400 plus prophets of Baal, dancing, gyrating, trying to bring fire from heaven. And Elijah gets to do what we all would love to do. He gets to talk smack to these prophets of Baal. He's like, I think Baal is going to the bathroom. I think he's in the, uh, maybe he's sleeping. And uh, he gets to talk smack to him. They wear themselves out. Finally, at the end, Elijah says, let me pray. He says, pour water on the altar first, and then I'm going to pray. And fire comes from heaven. Laps up the water, and people say, wow, Jehovah is God. And they repent, and they say, what should we do? And they gather the prophets of Baal, they bring them to a valley, and they slaughter them. Over 400 prophets of Baal slaughtered. Ahab, uh, Elijah goes up to, to the mountain, prays, rain comes. Elijah says to Ahab, go home. Ahab uh, starts to go home in his chariot, and the Spirit of God comes on Elijah, and he outruns the chariot of King Ahab. It's one of the reasons why I love Elijah. He's a runner. <laughs> and that's where we pick up the text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, um, Elijah has just outrun Ahab to his hometown. And, and in uh, 1 Kings 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death all who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Here we have uh, Elijah. Some of the most amazing days of his life. He's slaughtered these prophets of Baal, fire from heaven, outrun a chariot, But one person, 
was mad at him. The people repented. Revival was happening. One person got mad at him, and he freaked out. Elijah was a man just like us. (laughs) Good stuff can be happening, and one person can derail us. One little thing, maybe a family member, colleague, one thing can just set us off. And we're done. We're depressed. Elijah was a man just like us. He ran. He got afraid. After all that God had just done, he got afraid and ran for his life. Now, if you look at where he ran, he ran 100 miles from Jezreel to Beersheba is 100 miles. He was the first ultra runner. (laughs) And his servant ran with him. And then he got depressed, suicidal, prayed to die. I I can just imagine God in in heaven saying, "Um, you know, Elijah, 100 miles ago, Jezebel was ready to take care of this. And now you want me to do it? You want me to kill you? (laughs) He didn't say that, though. He didn't say that. He was patient with Elijah. And uh, I think most of us (laughs) would be ready to die suicidal if we run 100 miles. Uh, We don't run physically, but um, we may hide in our work or something else. I want to take a look at some of the lessons from Elijah's life. that uh, I think uh, can help us in recovering as it helped Elijah. I've made the, the, the points, uh, five S's. And so for the parents who are here this morning, I'm, I'm impressed with the parents who come with their kids. Uh, made them correspond to the fingers of the hand so you can trace your kid's hand maybe if you want and uh, put the points in the, in the fingers. But uh, the first step to spiritual recovery for difference makers is sleep Just sleep. It's the thumb, sucking the thumb. I was a thumb sucker. Uh, It's physical. So often we get over-spiritual. We overanalyze situations or things, and what we really need is a nap. We just need a nap. Take a chill. (laughs) Take a nap. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 4.16, he says, keep close watch over your life and your doctrine." So what we believe really is important. What we believe is very important. But also how we live. Our emotions. Just our physical life. Emotions and reactions can be linked to sleep deprivation. When we work in retail, we see it in (laughs) four-year-olds. It's very obvious. We look at each other as as workers and we just say, that kid needs a nap. (laughs) Sometimes he needs more than a nap, but <laughs> he at least needs a nap. And uh, we can see it in them. We don't see it in ourselves. As adults, we need rest. And uh, if you're fried, one of the first places to look is, and it's crazy for me to say, but it's not necessarily always the Bible. It could just be, what's your sleep situation? What's your pillow time life? Know yourself, Paul says, Timothy. Know yourself, your boundaries. Second step is index finger, spiritual. We need a a safe place, a special place. We all need a broom tree, a special or safe place where we can be authentic, we can be honest with God. Some people think it isn't spiritual to cry out to God with intense emotions. David did it a lot. If you haven't read the Psalms, it's great to just read through Psalms. See how often he got mad at God and just dumped on God. We need to be honest with God. We need to stay around for his touch, but it's okay to get real with God. John 15, Jesus' last word says, the relationship is primary, guys. The relationship is primary. When I, was, when I lived in Chicago, I had a motorcycle. It was when I first started to establish this in my life. And I was in ministry, and I would drive out to this place that overlooked the city, and I would just dump on God. and just became my special place just to go. And I remember one time I was... Um, considering things for my future and wanting to serve the Lord, went out to my special place and I said, all right, Lord, I have no peace. Uh, And your word says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
These aren't my words, Lord. These are yours. I have no peace. So I'd appreciate it if you get busy. <laughs> and I'm just being real with God. I'm just like, this is where I'm at, Lord. I want, to, I want to know what to do. And he says, are you done? Are you done, John? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done. So I want you to go back and look at that verse. He said, you left out a prepositional phrase. Again, grammar, really, God? I said, Lord, I'm talking about my future for you, and you're talking about grammar? He said, yep, go back. Looked it back up. Sure enough, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it clicked to me. I was stressed about a choice. And it was a privilege to have a choice. It was a grace from God that I had a choice of what to do. It didn't resolve my tension, but I just said, thank you, God, for the, for the grace of a choice. And uh, I walked away differently. So if you, if you haven't established a time or a place or a priority where you can get real with God and he with you, it's a must for spiritual sanity, recovery, and ultimately for fruit. Now it's my truck. I'm a truck driver now, and I can, I can talk to God. Call it my little prayer closet. I can talk to him any time, get paid to talk to God. But the third finger um, is uh, the middle finger, surrender. It's our will, our emotions, the middle finger is known for rebellion, but ultimately sanity and recovery comes from surrender. When we've had our yell at God, and uh, we've had our sleep and our yell at God, our next step is to allow him to touch you where you need it most. Allow him to touch you where you need it most. I have never won an argument with God. If you ever do, let me know. <laughs> he doesn't mind us talking to him in uh, in. in authentic and honest ways, but we need to stick around and wait for him to speak to us. It's what, to me, it's, it's a key difference between Christianity and other religions and keeps us from fatalism. The fourth step is to seek to see God again. The, 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 the ring finger, it's mental, it's theology. Seek to see God again. Where did Elijah go? After a 100-mile run, he went 250 more miles, 40 days, 40 nights, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. What happened at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. He was going back to get in connection with God, where Moses had met with God for the Ten Commandments. You need to allow yourself or put yourself, as you've done this morning, put yourself in a place where you get impressed by the greatness of God again. Problems can can appear greater than God. Loss can cause us to forget. God can seem no longer great or good or certainly not in control. It can seem that way. I read the scripture differently the first time Elijah, I don't know if you noticed, but the way Elijah responded to God's question, what are you doing here? I read it differently the second time than the first time, right? Difference in tone, same words. Elijah gave the same words to God the second time as he did the first time. But the second time, he had been freaked out by God. God said, go out. Go outside. I'm going to pass by. <laughs> and God just blew him away. He was in awe. He was, he was wowed. I've done a, a message on all the freak out moments in the Bible. And I, I believe we haven't been freaked out by God. We're not going to follow him through thick and thin like we should. It's important to see God for who he is. God's bizarre. He really is. You read the scripture, it's just weird stuff in there. <laughs> it's seemingly inefficient, for, but he's extravagant in his love. We need a theology that doesn't have God in a box that we can control. He's not controllable. I have an atheist friend that... Uh, had lunch with, and I had lunch with different times with him, and um, this particular time, and we would poke at each other, 
He was an assumed atheist, what I call him, because he went to the logical stream. I respect him for that, but always praying for him. I told him, when you come to Christ, you're going to be the Apostle Paul, buddy. <laughs> uh, so I said to him, I said, Danny, I said, you wouldn't have liked what I read in the Word of God this morning. And he said, oh, what would you read? I said, well, I read Joshua told, was told by God to slaughter all the women and children, all the people in this village, women and children, and the animals. Now, Danny was a vegan, is a vegan, and I knew what his answer was probably going to be, so I set him up, but, uh, and he says, well, John, he says, uh, the people I can handle, the animals, that's, that's going too far, <laughs> and uh, he said, seriously, John, what do you do with that? I said, Danny, I'll tell you what I can't do with that. I can't make God in my own image. I can't change God. God knew that in the 21st century that was going to be politically incorrect. It's not going to look good, but it's there. I can't change what his word to make it fit so that you accept it or I accept it. It doesn't make sense to me, some of this stuff in here. I said, this is my theology. It's real simple. God's bizarre. That's bizarre. Seemingly inefficient, but extravagant in his love. And I said, Danny, he's a doctorate in physics. physics. I said, you're a scientist, right? He said, yeah. I said, when you have a theory in science... It resolves almost all of your issues, but there's questions that are nagging that don't get resolved. You don't throw away the theory because of those nagging questions. What do you do with those questions, Danny? You put them in a residue column, and you hope, and you, 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 you plan that at some point, those questions are going to be resolved by your theory, but you don't throw away the theory. I said, that's what I do with it, Danny. I cannot throw away the extravagant love of God in Jesus Christ dying for me and for you can't do it it's just too overwhelmingly good because I have some nagging questions that are in my residue column and my residue column keeps growing but the extravagant love of God is too good we need to be reading the word of God there's some weird stuff in there and it'll open your eyes to okay this is God this is who he is he's big as was said this morning corporate worship is so important put yourself in a place to be freaked out by God the last Last step, pinky finger, is submission. Just walk in obedience to what God says. God tells them what to do. We can be so stressed out about issues that we don't need to own. They don't need to be owned by us. Keep it simple, silly. Is <laughs> what I have to tell myself all the time. Basically, what God was telling Elijah is Jezebel's not your problem. I got this. I got Jezebel. I'm going to take care of Jezebel. I got her number. You, on the other hand, you just need to go do this. Just anoint these guys. That's all you need to do. Has God called you to solve America's problems? <laughs> Probably not. But perhaps you have a neighbor who needs groceries. Your coworker needs prayer. You can do that. You need to start taking the diamond out and reading it again. Reading lots of good books, that's great. But are you reading the book? Are you into the diamond? Women, when they first get the diamond, it shines and they're ready to show it to everybody. And then it just gets old. You need to take it out and clean it up, read it again. Maybe you need to get in a small group. Next steps. Or maybe you're at the place where you need to find your Elisha and begin discipling him or her. Whatever the case Follow God's voice. Once you're in that place where you're ready to hear him, follow his voice, whatever he says. You are known by God. God knows you. He knew Elijah. Look at the, the care that he took with Elijah to bring him back. He wants to do the same for us. And you're not alone. God had the numbers. Elijah didn't. You're not alone. You're known, and you are not alone. Yeah. When, I first, uh, when I first got here and uh, came back to Boston, I was broken. And I needed these steps. I needed these steps. And I came in to worship, and I'd see the, the young adults leading worship, and I would just cry. It blessed me. They didn't know. 
but to see the next generation worshiping the Lord and leading me before his throne. I needed to see God again and to see others leading. I wasn't alone. You're not alone. And then God said, simple step, Pinky, I want you to go to a men's group Saturday morning, early morning. <laughs> not complicated. But I needed a place where I wasn't known as a missionary or pastor. I just needed to be one of the guys. Just hanging out with the guys who were trying to be authentically following Jesus Christ. I saw Christ in them. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't, wasn't crazy amazing. But just week after week, walking with each other in our troubles, just saying, okay. And knowing that I'm not alone. They're not alone. We're in this together. And God is at work. You just never know. They brought healing to me. And I praise God for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for painting Elijah, warts and all. And you know us. You know those who are here this morning. Questioning. Are, is there a difference being made? Some of them. Father, pray that you would minister to them. Father, for, um, for those who have been making a difference and they're weary, I cry out to you, Lord, give them grace in these steps, whether it's a nap, may you just be in that nap, whether it's establishing a special place where they can get honest with you or surrendering to your touch, seeking and seeing you again, fresh and anew, so that they can walk in obedience. Father, I pray for a double anointing on this body. Lord, that, that the next generation just would see an outpouring of your spirit. That, uh, Lord, you have blessed Bethany as a congregation, as a body. You've blessed through Pastor Phil. I pray that you would continue and pour out double portion upon us, Lord, for your namesake. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much, John. What a beautiful, um, simple, and much-needed word that is from God for us today. And I think so many of us, we have just, I'm sure, one or maybe all five of those things, you're like, oh, yeah, it's so simple. It's so elementary, but it's so true that I need to just go back to some of those basics in my life and um, and find that peace. And I love what John said about, you know, we do leave out that part of that verse that says, you know, make your requests known to God. You know, don't worry about anything. With thanksgiving, make those requests known to God and he will give you peace. Amen. Um, so this is the time in our service where we are going to um, accept our offering. And we, since COVID-19, we haven't been passing the plate, but you can, as you walk out the back, you can give in the bucket. Um, we have the option of giving in the app online. You can mail in a check. And we are just so honored and thankful for your continued giving and your faithfulness. And if that is something that you haven't um, the Bible says to test God um, in the area of your finances. And if you haven't tested him yet to see if he'll provide, if you commit to giving that tithe, I want to challenge you to try it and see what God will do in your life when you obey him in that area of giving a tenth of your income to him. Um, and I promise you, I, all across this room, that you, you could probably hear story after story after story of person who tested God, gave, were sacrificial, and what happened in their life just blew away their expectations. Raise your hand if that's you. It's definitely me. So um, get some stories, test God, try it. Um, and we're going to give you an, a, a period of time in here to pray if that's what you want to do. So we're going to keep the music light and our ushers will come and dismiss you row by row. We thank you so much for being here and I'm just going to pray for us. God, I thank you for what you're doing in your house. We thank you, Lord, for that you are patient with us and you've given us, as John said, this diamond of a book that gives us so much instruction and insight into who you are and so much mystery. And as he said, so many things that are just bizarre, but also in there is the guidebook, the light into our feet, 
the steps that we need to take to serve you. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray across this room that we would just begin to just feed that hunger that we have inside of us for you and just watch it grow. Um, and in Jesus' name, we pray that you'll keep us from dying of heat stroke in the next couple days. Amen. It's an honor to, uh, to speak with you guys in this way. Um, 26 years ago, Pastor Phil wanted to meet with me after I, I volunteered to, to help in the nursery. <laughs> so we met for lunch, and he, he asked me if, if I would be interested in being his associate. At the time, we were on our way to the mission field, and we had about a year to spend here. And he jokingly said, I've never had, it was, this wasn't a joke, it was true, he didn't have an employee at that point, never had an employee before. He jokingly said, you know, if I screw up with you... <laughs> It won't be long-lasting, because you're out of here. It won't be long-lasting impact. But um, I said to him, I said, well, I'm open to being your associate, but the prepositional phrase following the word associate is really important to me. I said, to the pastor is really critical. I'm willing to be associate to the pastor, not associate pastor. <laughs> told the Lord I'd be a missionary but I did not tell the Lord I'd be a pastor. So, uh, I thought that was our understanding that, that we had come to at lunch. And then Sunday came. And Pastor Phil said, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my new associate, John Wiersman. And you can call him Pastor John. I was like, no, grammar, Pastor, grammar. But, uh, but he honored me over my value for grammar. And that's what makes it it's so easy to honor him because... Uh, He's somebody who honors others. He's uh, made a tremendous difference in, in my life. He's, he and Pastor Sherry are difference makers, and I don't need to tell you that. You've experienced that uh, and the difference that they've made in your lives. But sometimes you don't know the, the, the ripple effect. You just never know the ripple effect of how many people outside of these walls, outside of this community, they've impacted. And we know from missions and, and the impact there. But the pastors, we heard last week from a pastor who's been impacted by the faithfulness and the honoring of Pastor Phil and Sherry. And I was one. Years later, the Lord did call me to pastor a little church in Denver. And when I was called, the first call I made was to Pastor Phil and asked for his advice and counsel. And that little church was bigger on Monday than it was on Sunday, in large part because of what Bethany does here and what Pastor Phil's advice was. So you just never know the amount of impact that you can have by just obeying and just honoring others. And uh, when I came back here and I took a job in, in Westboro at a little running store, uh, PR Running, I think one of my colleagues or maybe more are here this morning, but uh, PR Running for all your running needs, you can go to PR Running in Westboro, but uh, I, I was working there and I wore this, this cross around my neck and customers would ask me, oh, do you go to church? And both churchgoers and non-churchgoers would ask that question. I said, yes. And they would say, where do you go? I said, Bethany. They all knew about Bethany, about the happy place, the, the uh, blessing barn, the school. I was like, wow, what a difference this community, this church, this body, you have made. You are difference makers as well by, by walking with the Lord in this community. You've changed the word on the street regarding the church. Uh, and uh, we heard a great message last week about staying on mission, staying on mission. The message this morning is about what happens when you get exhausted in the mission. What happens when you get depressed with the mission, that you don't see the results that you would love to see after years and years? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's something else, but the, the, the war, the battle never stops. We have God and his word, but the culture fights against us. And maybe it's not the culture, like I said, maybe it's just one person that's fighting against you. It overwhelms us as a point of despair and we want to give up. This morning I want to look at a character in, in Scripture, one of my favorite characters, Elijah. Scripture says he was a man just like us. And he was one of the greatest difference makers in the pages of Scripture. He was with Christ in the transfiguration with Moses uh, in the New Testament. But uh, he got depressed. He got depressed and he wanted to quit. And I want to look at, see if we can learn some lessons from him to help us in recovery. So I've titled today's message, Spiritual Recovery for Difference Makers. And uh, before we open the Word of God and uh, look into it, I want to pray. 
But I also want to preface it with, God calls his church, us, his church, his bride. And he has given us a diamond. It's the word of God. And it shines. And uh, the setting of a diamond, as the ladies know when they receive a diamond, it, it helps to accentuate some of the, the beauty of that gem. And the cultural context and setting of this passage is going to, I think, help, help us to see what God wants us to see this morning as we live for Christ today. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to help in that right now. Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. We come to you anytime, anywhere. Because of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Phil, Pastor Sherry, the leadership here, and the impact they've had on our lives. I pray your blessing on them and rest for Pastor Phil. Um, and you continue to, to pour out your favor and grace upon them and us as, as a family, church family. This morning, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and shine your light on this, your word, this diamond that you've given us. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. Encourage, strengthen, build up through your word and the life of Elijah that you put into scripture that you wanted us to see and read about, know about, to encourage us. So it's in Jesus' name. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. My rock and my redeemer and audience of one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, that's where we're going to be reading this morning. But the context, as I was saying earlier, is um, there was civil war in Israel. Elijah was called to be a prophet to Israel. And there was civil war and split between the north and the south. Yeah, go figure. Civil war that's between the north and the south. And uh, the north, northern kingdom was established and had 19 kings, all of them evil. The southern kingdom had 17 kings. Only eight of them were good. It was not good in the land of Israel. And for generations, the northern kingdom was bad. And Elijah was called to be a prophet to the northern kingdom where the context was extremely wicked. And in fact, he was a prophet to one of the most wicked kings of all, King Ahab. And King Ahab was made more wicked by his wife. You've probably heard about his wife, Jezebel. Uh, and Jezebel was somebody who he married in an alliance with a foreign nation. God prohibited that, but he did it anyway. And Jezebel brought her gods with her, the god of Baal, which is the god of rain and fertility, and, and Asherah, uh, Baal's mother. And she led Israel into Baal worship. And it was a, a context and a culture for, uh, that was very challenging. It was a culture of compromise and corruption for somebody to follow Jehovah was extremely difficult. People went into hiding. It was so challenging. We're dealing with a challenging time ourselves. But it's not quite as challenging as what Elijah had to face. And, and God finally, there was an intensity with Jezebel and Ahab that, that grew to where God intervened. And he said, all right, I want, to, I want you to go to King Ahab and tell him that I'm going to shut the heavens. Baal's supposed to be the god of rain. I'm going to cut off the water. There's going to be no rain in Israel on your word until I say otherwise. And so for three years prior to the text we're going to read right now, there was no rain in Israel. God was basically saying, I am God, and Baal is not in your face. After Elijah gave that word, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were looking to kill him, and they wanted to, to, to get Elijah, and they were looking everywhere for him. God told Elijah to, to go hide. And he hid in, in Cherith, a little place with a brook, and, and dirty birds, angry birds, came and fed him food for a while until the brook dried up because of the lack of rain. And, uh, and then God sent him to, to Zarephath, which was actually in Jezebel's home country. So King Ahab and, and Jezebel were looking everywhere for Elijah. The one place they didn't think to look was in Jezebel's backyard. And so God protected Elijah through it. God's bizarre. He just is. He's just bizarre in his ways. But seemingly inefficient, but he's extravagant in his love for us and for his people. So finally, God tells uh, uh, Elijah, go back to Ahab 
and tell them there's going to be, I want a power encounter with the prophets of Baal. So they meet on Mount Carmel. Some of you have read the scripture, you know this story. An amazing story where they get on Mount Carmel and there's two altars. And uh, they say, Whoever, whichever God answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice, that's the true God. So they're on Mount Carmel and 400 plus prophets of Baal are dancing, gyrating, trying to invoke Baal to come and, and bring fire from heaven all day. They're going about this, cutting themselves, and Elijah gets to do what we would all love to do. He gets to talk smack to these prophets of Baal. And he says, you know, I think Baal might be using the restroom. He, uh, he, maybe he's a little busy. Maybe he's napping. Maybe he's sleeping. And he's basically just talking smack to them. Finally, after they're exhausted, he says, all right, pour water on, on, on my sacrifice. And I'm going to pray. And he prays, and fire comes from heaven, laps up the water and the, and the sacrifice. And the people repent, and they say, what should we do? He said, gather up the prophets of Baal. They're too exhausted to flee. They bring them to a valley, and they slaughter them. 400-plus prophets of Baal slaughtered. Ahab goes up to the mountain again and, and prays, and rain comes. And he tells King Ahab, go home. So Ahab leaves, and the Spirit of God comes on Elijah and he outruns the chariot of Ahab to Jezreel, Ahab's uh, hometown. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I love Elijah, he's a runner. <laughs> it's 17 miles that he ran uh, to, to get there. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. That's where I want to start reading in 1 Kings 19. Is there's just been this incredible power encounter, and Elijah has seen God show up, revival is happening, and then this happens. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread Baked over hot coals in a jar of water, he ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, where he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death all who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death all who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I, I reserve 7,000 
in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. This is, uh, Elijah has some of the most amazing moments in his life just prior to this. Absolutely amazing. Fire from heaven, slaughtering prophets of Baal, and uh, uh, he outruns, outruns a chariot. Rain comes from heaven at his prayer, but one person gets mad. One person gets mad, and he freaks out. He's just like us. We're like that, where things can be going so great, and in one moment, one person says one thing, and we just lose it. We lose it. He's a man just like us. The... Uh, um, the one person that freaked him out, God says, I got this later on. He says, you don't have to worry about her. But we, we, we freak out by, by things that we can't control. And Elijah, Elijah ran 100 miles, actually. When you look at the, the terrain in which he covered, it was from Jezreel to Beersheba. And that's 100 miles that he ran for his life. He was the first ultra runner. <laughs> Uh, and his servant ran with him, so you got to give kudos to his servant too. But um, he didn't consult God. He got afraid. He got afraid and ran. And then he got depressed, suicidal. He prayed to die. And if I was God up in heaven, <laughs> he had to be looking at this and saying, you know, Elijah, 100 miles ago, Jezebel was ready to take care of this for you. <laughs> she was ready to kill you, and now you want me to kill you. But he didn't say that. He was patient with Elijah. And uh, he's patient with us. I think most of us would be suicidal if we ran 100 miles. <laughs> but uh, we don't run physically, maybe. But we run when we get afraid. We hide in our work or something else. And so this morning, I want to look at some steps. Five steps. And if you're uh, the, the five fingers, you can uh, go with the hand. And there are five S's. I made it simple. Try to keep it simple for if there's parents with kids, you can draw, trace the hand of the kid and put the, the points in the, in the fingers. But the first step is sleep. Our thumb. I was a thumb sucker. <laughs> it's physical. Uh, so often we get over-spiritual. We overanalyze things. And uh, the situations, what we really need is sleep. Just take a nap. <laughs> take a nap. And uh, emotions and reactions can, can be linked to sleep deprivation. We can, we can see it in retail. We see families come in and see it. We can see it in a four-year-old real easily. That kid needs a nap, right? Might need a little bit more than a nap. <laughs> Something else as well, but at least needs a nap or she needs a nap. We can recognize in other people and kids, but we don't always recognize in ourselves. We get exhausted too. And sometimes, rather than... than necessarily going to the Bible, and that's crazy for me to say, but we need to evaluate ourselves and know ourselves. Evaluate your pillow time. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep close watch over your life and your doctrine. What we believe really matters, but how we live our life also really matters. And sometimes we just need to look at the boundaries and say, you know, I've been, I've been burning the candle at both ends. I need to take a break. Just take a nap. Second one is we need a, the index finger is, is we need a special place. We need a safe place, a place where um, we, we need a broom tree where we can get honest with God. We can be authentic with God. Some people think it isn't spiritual to cry out to God with intense emotion. David did a lot. You just need to look at the Psalms. We need to be honest with God. And we also need to stay for his touch. We can't just yell at him and walk away. But Jesus, uh, his last words to his disciples in John 15, he reiterated, the relationship is primary. He said, you're my friends. I've told you everything. We need to be honest with him as well. 
When I was in Chicago in ministry, I had a motorcycle. This is where I first started establishing this, and I was uh, fried, and I would take that bike out to a special place that overlooked Chicago, and I would, I would basically have yells, yell, yell at God, <laughs> knock down drag outs with God. And uh, I would dump on God and then drive back and go back into ministry. It was, it was a place where I could just be real with him. And I remember one time going out there and I was considering something for the future. And I didn't have any peace about it. And I went out there. I said, all right, Lord, this is your word, not mine. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this isn't my word. This is yours. So if you don't mind, I'd appreciate it if you get busy. <laughs> and that's what I was talking to God. And uh, he finally said, John, are you done? Are you done, John? I'm like, yeah, I think I am. <laughs> He's like, I want you to go back to that verse and look at that verse again. He said, you left out a prepositional phrase. I said, grammar? Yeah, grammar again, prepositional phrases for me. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm talking about my future for you, Lord. I want to do things for you. And you're talking about grammar? He said, yep. So I went back, looked at the verse, and sure enough, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I realized it was a bing moment of my stress, my lack of peace was because I had a choice. And I had no peace about the choice, but that choice was a privilege. It was a grace from God that I had a choice. So I just thanked him. I started worshiping him and thanking him for the grace that he had poured out on me that I actually had a choice of what to do next. It didn't resolve my situation, but I did walk away with peace with him. And he had to have been up there laughing at me because the, the tensions that I was going through about the different roles that I was thinking about doing, looking back now, years later, he knew I was going to do every one of those roles anyway. He's like, just start walking, John. I didn't know that. He knew it. We need to have a special place. If you haven't established a time, a place, a priority where you can get real with God and He with you, it is so, it is a must for spiritual sanity as well as recovery and fruit for difference makers. It's my truck now. I'm a truck driver and I get, to, I get paid to pray. I get paid to talk to God. But uh, um, you need to establish a place. The third step is surrender. It's the middle finger, it's our will, our volition. Middle finger is usually known for rebellion, but ultimately sanity and recovery comes from surrender. When we've had our sleep and our yell at God, the next step is to allow Him to touch you where you need it most. If you ever, I've never won an argument with God. If you ever do, <laughs> let me know. God is gracious and allows us to come to him raw and real, but we can't yell at God and walk away. We got to allow him stay in his presence and allow him to touch us, speak to us where we need it most. It's so essential to a healthy relationship, and I think it's one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from other religions and from fatalism for sure. The fourth step, the index finger, or the ring finger, uh, is mental and theology. We need to seek to see God again. Where did Elijah go? He went from that broom tree, 250 miles, 40 days and 40 nights, to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? This is where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He went back to a place where he knew God had spoken powerfully to the people of Israel. He went back to a place to get himself in a place where he could be impressed with the greatness of God again. We, you need to allow yourself or put yourself like you have this morning in a place where you can be impressed with the greatness of God. Problems can, can, can appear greater than God. Loss can cause us to forget. And God can seem no longer great or good and certainly not in control. I read the passage differently. The first time Elijah, I don't know if you noticed that, the first time Elijah answered God, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And the second time, Elijah answered God. This is the same words in both responses to God. I think there was a massive difference in tone. And the reason is because Elijah had just been freaked out by God. God had freaked him out. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain. He was awed and wowed again by who God was and who he was talking to. And we need that. The message on all the freak out moments in Scripture, if you haven't been freaked out by God, I don't think, I don't think we're able to follow him as, as, he, as we need to through thick and thin. We need a theology that doesn't have God in a box. My theology is real simple. God is bizarre. You read this word, it's just weird stuff in there. <laughs> He's seemingly inefficient in his timing. It doesn't make sense to us. And that can be hurtful and make us depressed and want to give up. But he's extravagant in his love for us. That is what I can't let go of. I remember having a conversation with an atheist friend. Um, we'd meet for lunch different times. We'd poke each other. And he's what I call an assumed atheist, which means he, he just takes it to the logical extreme. And, and uh, I respected him for that. I told him, I said, Danny, I said, you wouldn't have liked what I read in the Word of God this morning. And I always bring up what I was reading in the Bible, and he, he wasn't afraid of it. He said, oh, what'd you read? And I said, well, I read that uh, Joshua was told by God to slaughter all the women and children in this village and the animals. Now, Danny was a vegan, and I, I knew what was probably going to be his response, so I kind of set him up. But uh, he said to me, he said, John, he said, the people... I, I, I don't have a problem with that. He said, the animals, that's going too far. <laughs> but uh, he said, seriously, John, he said, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I said, Danny, I'll tell you what I can't do. I can't make God in my own image. I can't change the word of God. God knew that having that in the word of God was going to be politically incorrect in the 21st century. He knew it. It's bizarre. I can't change him. But you're a scientist, Danny. He was a doctor in physics. I said, when you have a theory in science, it resolves almost all of your issues. But there's questions that are nagging questions that don't get resolved by your theory. You don't throw the theory away because of a question that, that you can't resolve. What do you do with that, that question, Danny? You put it in a residue column. You hope and, and plan that at some point that question is going to get resolved by your theory. I said, the, the incredible, extravagant love of God isn't a theory, it's reality for me. And I cannot let that go. I'm not going to give up the extravagant love of God in Jesus Christ, dying for me, for you, Danny, because I have some nagging questions that are unresolved and are in my residue column. And my residue column keeps growing, <laughs> but the extravagant love of God will never be eclipsed by those questions. We need a theology that allows for us to be wowed by God. Reading God's word is so important because you just see, wow, that's the same God that I serve today. He shatters mountains. Worship, corporate worship is so critical. Just to be in the presence of one another, be reminded who we serve. Put yourself in a place where you can be wowed by God again. The last step is simple. Simple submission. It's the pinky finger. Should be as simple as, and and as uncomplicated as, as and not as he, not heavy. Where the, even the pinky finger could move it. We can get so stressed out about issues that that we don't need to own, that aren't to be owned by us. We need to keep it simple. Silly is my my principle. God was basically telling Elijah, Jezebel's not your problem. As I said earlier. I've got Jezzy. I'll deal with Jezebel. And boy, did he ever deal with Jezebel. When God deals with somebody, there's no question. He's done it. God dealt with Jezebel. He said, all I need you to do is just go anoint these guys. Real simple. Just go. Do this. Has God called you to solve America's problems? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but maybe your neighbor needs groceries. Maybe your coworker needs prayer. Just do it. Offer it. Do it. 
Maybe you need to start reading the diamond, dust it off, clean it off, get back into the Word of God and, and pray and ask God to speak to you from it. Maybe you need to get into a small group, go to Next Steps class. Or maybe you need to find your Elisha. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time and you have a lot to give. And God wants you to get pour into somebody else. Begin discipling somebody. Whatever it is, follow God's voice. Follow God's voice. You're known by God. Just watching how carefully and gently God dealt with Elijah should be so encouraging for us. He knows you. You are known by God. He knows when you're depressed. He knows when you're discouraged. And secondly, you're not alone. You're not alone. God knew the numbers, and Elijah wasn't alone either. Elijah didn't know him. God knew him. When I first got back here, I was broken. And uh, I needed these steps. I needed to take these steps. And I'd come in here, and I'd see the worship team, the young adults leading worship, and I would I'd just cry. I was blessed by the next generation following wholeheartedly after the Lord and just praying blessing on them and just being led into the throne room of God by young adults was just a grace to be here and to see God again. And then God said, simply go to a men's group Saturday morning. Simple, not complicated, not hard, just go. So I went. That men's group, motley crew of men, it just uh, wasn't necessarily always organized, but we were sincerely seeking the Lord. I needed a place where I wasn't known as a missionary or a pastor. I just needed to be one of the guys following after the Lord. And I saw Christ in them. And they, they helped to bring healing to me. You just never know. Just showing up what you can be doing. You're not alone, and you are known. Follow these steps, and let's continue to make a difference for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for this church, this church family. Lord, you know the tremendous impact they've made in my life. Lord, you know each one in this room and where they're at. They're known by you. You know we're not alone. Lord, I pray for those who are just even questioning whether this Christianity is making a difference, that you would speak to them. Open their eyes to see your extravagant love for them and how much you love and will work with them and for them in their situation. And Lord, for those who are weary, I pray that these steps, as they take these steps, they, whether it's a nap, you be in that nap whether it's a special place, establishing that special place, that, that they would feel free to be honest with you and that surrendering to you would bring healing to them. God, help us to see you, the great I am, for who you are. You are our audience of one. And then I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to go and obey whatever simple step you ask us to do. For your name's sake and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.